Help us to know that your mercy is new every morning. It's on us right now. And that where sin has abounded in our life and seems to still abound, grace abounds all the more. Help us to rest and to grow in that grace and the knowledge of Jesus. I pray it in his name alone. Amen. You may be seated, church. You know, it's been a long, it seems like a long, but at the same time, quick journey through the book of James as we've been talking about real faith. And really, we're two, maybe three, we'll see, but really probably next week is going to be our concluding sermon on James. And I want us to be thinking about conclusion as we look at these last few verses, because James is concluding his letter, and we've got something very important to talk about today. I think a very timely message, one that I'm going to spoil it, has, a, has to do with prayer. Corey already mentioned it, but it's going to emphasize just how important prayer is in our lives as individual Christians, but then in our lives corporately together as believers. So let's, let's do a few things. Let me find my place here. The book of James, and we're going to be in chapter 5. I want us to answer this question to get our head wrapped around where we're at. The question is this. Anytime you look in the Bible and you want to try to, you want to, try to understand it, or especially me, if I want to try to teach it, help others understand it, we have to look at, what, man, what is the author doing? James writes this letter. What is he doing? What is he making of utmost importance? What is James making of utmost importance at this time in chapter 5 as we're writing? Remember, so let's do a few things. Bear with me. I want to get our head wrapped around it. Remember who he's writing to. So we got to think back to like the first few sermons when we emphasize that. He's writing to the dispersed church or the, the diaspora. These are Christians who have been scattered, who are running, who are having to hide. And these churches are scattered around. And this letter is going out to them for encouragement, for exhortation, for strength, for help and their suffering. This is the type of people and the circumstance James is speaking into. So we have to remember the whole purpose of why James was writing to these people in the first. Remember one of the first verses that he says right off the bat, James right off the bat says this, count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various types of trials, right? That crazy verse where he was telling us to like Right? Mentally be happy and count, consider every suffering, hard circumstance I'm going through to be something that's worthy of joy. Remember that? So this context he's in, count it all joy when. Now we're at the end of the book. With that in mind, I want us to review the verses that we've been in. You're going to see a lot of verses on the screen here, but I'm going to emphasize a few things. This is what we learned last week. Last week, Todd's sermon, he started out, James is really starting his conclusion, and this is the context we are still in as we do today's sermon. So look at some of these highlighted words here. James says, be patient, church, when? Therefore, until the coming of the Lord, right? So there's a time frame. The Lord is going to come back. We heard it and he sang it in our songs that he's going to come back, pierce the sky. Be patient until then. He says, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your heart. Sink your hearts deep into the concrete that you're standing on, the foundation that you're standing on. Be unmovable. Be ready. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, he says, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And then he says this, as an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets. See the context. The context is hardship. The book started with hardship and it's ending. Life is hard. As an, and so he's, he's encouraging them. He's helping them. As an example, what does he do? He brings up those in the past, the prophets, who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who, and look at that, those two words, remained steadfast. Remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job. Here's the context we're in. He's just bringing up these prophets 
using them as an example. And he's going to bring up Elijah as an example here in a little bit, showing that he's still in this mindset of like, hey, I'm concluding the book. I want these Christians. I want you to be established in your heart, ready for the coming of the Lord. But I want you to be able to endure all the hardships of life, committed to the Lord, because remaining steadfast through every circumstance of life is the goal. This is the, this is the context. This is what James is trying to make of ut most importance. And then I want you to look at the very last verse, of the book of James, because we're not going to that verse today, but I want you to see where we're at today, what it's wedged between, right? Between being patient, remaining steadfast, and the very last verse of James says this, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back Let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Are you getting the heart of James? Man, I want you to not give up. Remain true. Remain steadfast. And my whole book has been given to you to try to point out all the reasons that you're potentially not and where your mind's being taken off the summit and the heavenly things and being put on earthly things and how the enemy is sucking you into the vortex of worldliness and deception. I want to recenter you, recalibrate you, get your hearts and your minds established for what matters most. Very important for us to have this context as we go into the passage we're going to be in today because the passage we're going to be in today is one of, one of those passages that is super debated super controversial, and it can be something that people go back and forth, like, what does it really mean? And some of the implications of taking it the wrong way can actually set our hearts up to be exhausted before the coming of the Lord. So I want us, as one of your pastors, I want to teach you, shepherd you, and know the importance of context. Do we see it? Is that clear? Remaining steadfast and being patient? It's clear in the book of James, right? All right, so let's talk about a few things. I want you to hear something. It's going to come over the speakers, and I want you to just listen. I want us to crank it up. There's this theme of the clock is winding down. Time is going to end. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Now what if every day, everywhere you went, At all times, you could hear this clock ticking away. It'd be very annoying, wouldn't it? But also, it would do something. It would be a constant reminder, constant reminder of what's coming. What would it do for you in the midst of wasting time in life living your life for worldliness and then trying to live your life for yourself all the while you're hearing this clock that God's put in your heart that's saying, I'm coming back. Time's running out. There's only so much time in life. It's gonna come to an end. Think about our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. This sound will be a sound of hope. Hey, your suffering's not forever. I'm coming back and as Second Thessalonians tells us that the Lord is going to afflict those who afflict you. Your, your affliction is temporary, but the affliction God's going to bring upon his enemies will be eternal. And he's seeing fit to one day pull you out of the affliction and give you peace and comfort and eternal life. And the clock is running down on his enemies. Therefore, everyone repent and turn to the Lord for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. A sound of hope for those suffering and a convicting sound to us who could be wasting our lives. Maybe standing between two opinions, still trying to figure out what's important in life, what we want to do. A reminder to us as we get sucked into the vortex of politics and everything that the world wants to argue about today, the church constantly want to get pulled into the beast and the tornado that's pulling us in. All right, we can fade that out, please. You guys are all saying. We must be patient. We must remain steadfast till the end. So here's the big question. We're going to answer today. James is going to show us. He's going to show us how, how to remain steadfast till the end. It's not like a four-step program. 
It's actually going to involve an answer that we already know, and it's going to sound super elementary, and it's going to sound a Sunday school answer, but I know when I say it in our heart, it's going to be, our eyes are going to be potentially want to roll, because in the midst of the ticking of life, when suffering is going on, what happens? We're like, man, I'm sitting on my hands. I feel like I'm doing nothing, man. Come on, let's get moving. Let's do something. Come on. We've got people suffering over there. I mean, I mean, let's pick up the gun. Let's join the military. Let's go make a difference, right? And the clock's ticking. We see brothers and sisters suffering. When we feel like we're just doing nothing, what's the most we can do? Guess what James is going to show us? He's going to remind us. Prayer is the most important thing. And our hearts do not like that answer because we tend to doubt the need for prayer because we want something to be done now. We like to have control in our own hands. We like to see physical things on earth change now. James is going to remind us of the importance and the power of prayer today, but it's going to also imply in this context that if we are going to be patient and remain steadfast to the end, committed to Jesus Christ, we must be a church that prays, and we must have prayer in our life, and we must be praying in all circumstances, wherever we find ourselves. We must be praying. You know, think about it like this. If you had all the money all the resources, all the options to help the world, and you, you exhausted all of that, but you never prayed, I would say this, it's not enough. But if you had no ability to make any difference financially or resource-wise, or you were maybe even stuck to a bed, and all you could do was pray, that would be enough. We struggle to think this way, don't we? We struggle to see the urgency. We have to constantly be reminded through the, through the clock that's ticking that we can't hear, reminded it's going, it's going. What can we do? God, help us. We got brothers and sisters suffering all over the world. Our hearts are revved up. What can we do? We got to pray. Let's look at it. How to remain steadfast till the end. So look what he's going to do. He's going to say first off, right off the bat, okay, so whatever circumstance you're in, here's what you need to do. I'm going to give you some specifics. When you're suffering, because that's the context he was just talking about. So he says, is anyone among you, verse 13, is anyone among you suffering? And he says this, let him pray. That word suffering there has the idea of being mistreated. You got to identify who he's talking about. We could use the word suffering for anything that just feels bad. But the context is those who are suffering, experiencing hardship in life because of circumstances they can't control outside of them. And more importantly, in the context of being mistreated, let's remember the context of who he talked about. He talked about the poor who are being thrown into, taken to uh, courts and thrown into jail by the rich, right? Being oppressed, working and slaving all day. And then the rich holding back the wages that they owe them, right? This is a mistreatment, right? You're struggling to get your food to feed your family. You're being mistreated. And now you're a Christian what do you do? You're suffering. He says this, let him pray. Instructions for the individual. Let him pray. What's our first thing we want to do when someone mistreats us? I'll tell you this, it ain't pray. It depends on how it happens, when it happens, where it happens. There's many things I can think of that I might want to do in the moment to try to solve that situation taking matters into my own hand, right? I'll show them on social media. Let's have this at her, all right. Or when you go see so-and-so who you know doesn't really know the context of the situation and so you just use your words as to slander one another. And we talked about slander here because James sees that happening. They're being mistreated. So what are one of the ways they deal with it? They grumble against one another. They fight, slander. James is saying, you're suffering, you're a believer, Jesus is coming back. You know what you do once that you need to pray. Doesn't mean that's the only thing you do, but it needs to be the first most important thing you do. And if you can only do one thing, it needs to be prayer. This word pray is very general. It's the word that's used throughout the scripture. And, and so it's saying like, okay, you pray out loud, pray out loud. There's no instructions on how to do it. Just pray, individual, pray. Where are you being mistreated? Where do you perceive mistreatment or suffering in your life? You need to take it to the Lord in prayer. Take it to the Lord in prayer. But the next person, it's like James is thinking about the person who's suffering. He's been thinking about this for like the last two chapters. And then he immediately thinks it's almost like about someone else. Who's, yeah, you're in the midst of the suffering, but there are those among you who are cheerful. 
He says, is anyone among you cheerful? Literally, happy of heart, right? Joyful, inner peace. Anyone among you in that circumstance, what does he say to do if this is you? He says this, praise, sing psalms. Is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. He's not saying is is there people who are suffering and people who aren't suffering over here? He's saying, are there people who are suffering among you? And man, it's like, whew, you're really struggling to be patient. Okay, you just need to, be, you need to spend time in prayer, remembering who the Lord is, asking for the strength to get through that because what's the temptation when you're mistreated and you suffer and you don't pray? What's the temptation? Take matters into your own hands, right? That's the temptation, so what about this other category of people? They're, they're, in, they're right there with their brothers and sisters in the suffering, but there's this calm resolve and this peace and this cheerfulness that they seem to have. Doesn't mean they don't need to be praying, but there's something specific that that person needs to be doing, and that's praising, singing songs of praise, because what happens when all's going well and you don't give God the credit for it? Become arrogant. Or you become apathetic, right? Maybe, maybe you even forget like there's even a reason to praise, right? right? Like your cheerfulness becomes normal. Don't, like in these moments when we have the supernatural peace, and maybe that's you. Maybe you're like, man, I just I see people struggling. Like, man, coronavirus is going like crazy. Politics are going crazy. There's missiles going everywhere. Like everything seems to be so unstable in the world. But yeah, I just had this, I just can't, I just can't, I'm just, Jesus is so good and I don't care, man. Bring it all on. Okay, awesome. You need to purposefully sing praises to God and give him the credit for that supernatural joy that's residing in you. And so you can be an example to those who are suffering that, hey, you can't feel this type of joy when things are going wrong. Sing praises. Man, God says that his design for the church is that we sing songs and spiritual psalms and everything to one another. That's part of the design. So like when we come together on a Sunday morning and we have the the people who are leading us in worship and praise, this isn't just like a, a thing that we do to get to the sermon. This is part of it. We need to be singing with one another, praising the Lord. Look at the schemes and the design of the devil over the last years. What is he trying to do? He's trying to suck the joy and the praise and the togetherness out of the church. It's happening. Are we remaining steadfast to the end? Remember the context, because this is what the enemy is going to try to do. He's going to try to use anything he can in our world circumstance to cause us to become impatient and to not remain steadfast, which means committed to the Lord and to one another. We're going to get distracted. So is anyone suffering? Pray. Anyone cheerful? Man, sing praise. I was going to introduce a third category, and we're going to park here for the, pretty much the rest of the time because this, we need to make sure we understand this. He says this, is anyone among you sick? And he says, let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I tell you what, you read a passage like that, and you're like, oh, is that, what, is that, what, what is that saying? I mean, it, I mean, it sounds pretty clear what he's saying, but was that, is he what? I want us to pause, and I want to have a little bit of teaching, and I want to help us look into proper study of context of the text. We need to understand this one, church. So remember everything that I've said so far, the context we're in, what James is doing, let's, let's turn our eyes to the screen and let's do a little bit of Bible study. All right, I wanna show you this next, pa- this next screen here. I've got both passages up, both verses here in James chapter five where he uses that word sick. Both times he uses it, he uses a different Greek word. New Testament was written in Greek. They spoke a mixture of Greek and Aramaic. Old Testament written in Hebrew. So when you open up your English Bibles, you're reading a translation. So we have one English word that sounds the same to us. But when you look back in the Greek, there's two completely different words. They're similar, but they're totally different. We've translated it sick both times. The first one in verse 14, where he says, is anyone among you sick? is the word astheneo, which can mean several things. It can mean sick, physically ill, have come down with a sickness, or it can mean weak. It can simply just mean weak, 
or weary. Verse 15, he uses a word. The word is camno. He says, in the prayer of safe, the prayer of faith will save the sick. And he uses this word camno, which mostly means to tire, to faint, to become weary or weak. What I'm going to, what I'm going to teach today and what I want us to see and what I want to challenge us with is that when you read James here and you just come through, is anyone among you sick? And you immediately think, oh, come, like sick, come with a, a, a sickness, got an got a illness in their body. And that's all you think. It's, it's not what you should be thinking. Not just what you should be thinking. You should be thinking more about the word weak, weary. Remember the context we're in. The context is hard things in life are here and you need to be patient through them, not have them taken away. That's very important to understand that context as we try to understand this because if he's just talking about your physical sickness and he gives you a guarantee that your physical suffering of sickness can be taken away just by praying, that's leading us to a circumstance or a conclusion I don't think that we're need, we need to be in. But it does include sickness. Bear with me. I want to show you some things. So let me show you some verses here. Let's look through the New Testament. Where this word astheneo is actually used. It's used many times to actually mean physical sickness, but the context always drives it. Jesus is talking with someone who is sick, and they describe the sickness, and they use astheneo. It uses the word sick. But then you have all these other passages in the New Testament epistles written to churches to remind them to not grow weak. And in the context, it's always translated weak. For instance, Romans 4, talking about Abraham. He was not weak in faith. Same word that James uses for sick in James 5. Romans 14, 1, when talking about the brother or the sister who's weak in faith and that they, they have a lot of rules in their life they have to follow and Paul's making the point like, hey, listen, they need time to grow as they, as they grow in their relationship with the Lord. They'll understand faith better and they'll understand that these things of their conscience don't necessarily have any type of physical or spiritual bearing. So he describes them as weak in faith. You come to 1 Corinthians 8, he's talking about a very similar person who is a stumbling block to the weak. You get around people who say, well, you don't eat meat. Well, I think you should eat meat. He's telling the strong people, don't eat meat around people who don't think they should eat meat, right? Three different times he uses the word weak, astheneo, weak, translated weak. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul, talking about the thorn in his flesh. Remember this. He said, God gave me a messenger of Satan. We don't know what it was. It actually could be a physical illness. The point is it made him weak. And he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. And God said, no. No, I want you to have it because that weakness is gonna make me strong in your life and you're going to be dependent on me and not something else. All right, very important, weak. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, we're told to help the weak among us, right? So we're supposed to look out and say, man, who's weak? And what do I mean by weak? Spiritually weak, man, they're fainting. They're, they're struggling to hold on to Jesus. They don't feel the love of Christ anymore. They have no zeal, no excitement. And it seems like, man, they're just like barely hanging on and like the world is pounding them. They're just weak and they need help. This is who we're talking about help the weak. First Corinthians eleven thirty says, many among you, this is very interesting. This is why I use this one. Talking about the Lord's Supper and those who are using Lord's Supper as an opportunity to get drunk instead of like reflecting and making it about reverence and remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. Many among you, he says this, are weak and sickly as a result of that. Now here's what's interesting. The word sickly there, he uses the word astheneo to represent sick. And he uses a completely, he uses, the, I'm sorry, he uses the word astheneo for weak here and a completely different word for sick. And this is the same word. Now let's go back to James. The next few verses in James, this is the same word he is using in chapter 14. Now, what are the implications of simply thinking he's talking about people who have an illness? It doesn't match the context. Wait, you just told those who were suffering. It's like telling the girl who's getting traded into sex slave, Christian girl in Afghanistan, who's getting kidnapped and taken to be used by evil men there. Sorry, but you gotta be patient until the end. You're suffering. You gotta be patient to the end. But hey, we come to those who are sick. Guess what? You can get, get well in an instant. 
by praying. You see the confusion, how the context is, is a little iffy if you take what James is saying just to mean your physical illness. I want to tell you about this other word here. This other word he uses, the prayer of faith will save the sick. It's a completely different word, Cam. No, it's only used two other times in the Bible. And both times, let me show you the context. Let me show you the next few verses. These are the other times, the only other times the Bible uses this word. Look at the context, Hebrews 12, 3. Consider him, Jesus, who endured, right? Endurance, patience from sinners, suffering, mistreatment such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Camno, it's the word for sick in James chapter five. Now, the other time it's used is in Revelation, which the whole book of Revelation is that the enemy is going to use the world and the ways of the world and the power of the world and the beast and the false prophet. And he's always going to try to pull your heart away from God. And he's going to throw everything he can at God's people to get them to give up He uses Camno. I know, he says to the church of Ephesus, that you are enduring patiently. You see it? James is talking about remaining patient, steadfast, and bearing up for my namesake, and you have not grown sick? No, weary. Now let's go back to the verses here. When you hear these verses in James chapter five, you need to first think that what he is trying to get at is the weakness of the soul that you are experiencing from any circumstance. I think it includes sickness. Sickness is included here, but if you just think sick, you're excluding the deeper spiritual heart issue that James is trying to get at. You know, the Bible says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick, right? He's using, the Old Testament is using the word sick in a way where we understand it. We need to think about it this way and not just physical illness. Maybe, hopefully I'm clear. Hopefully you guys see what I'm getting at. Is anyone among you spiritually weak and weary as a result of being physically sick, as a result of suffering, as a result of these things? You're not cheerful and you are fading and you know it in your heart, you are fading fast it feels like. And it feels like, man, there's just going to be something that's going to come along and sweep your legs out from under you and you are going to faint and fall for good. The focus is on the weakness that comes as a result of the circumstance. And it does mean sickness as well. And then he says, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, spiritually weak, physically being torn down. All right, now let's go back to the passage here. Let's go back to our point. He says, is anyone among you sick? Think weak, weary. When you are this way, you know what you should do. He has a very specific action and exhortation. He says this, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him. You know, so I've got to admit, the only time I've ever used this verse in my life has been for physical sickness. And as a pastor, take an oil, put it on the head of someone and prayed over them. It includes that. It should be for you when you are sick. You should think James 5 and say, man, I'm sick. I'm calling for the elders of the church. But what you need to be more concerned about is what the sickness in your body is potentially doing to your commitment to Christ. Do you see this? There's some people who get sick and man, they're just like, yeah, (laughs) ain't nothing gonna take my joy away from Jesus. They should pray in faith and ask God to take the sickness away. And if God desires to, he will. Remember the context of James we're talking about. Praying not in the will of the Lord is arrogance and sinfulness. When we pray, we say, if it be, your Lord, be the Lord's will. Because we know this. There's no guarantee that just because you pray, a sickness goes away. And if you believe, like so many false teachers try to lead people astray with, promising health and wealth to people to amass followings and get money from themselves and to get people to follow them, Second Peter tells us this is what false teachers will do. They will appeal to your flesh and your sensuality, things that feel good to the flesh. And they'll use verses like this. And man, it'll sound good and it'll sound great. 
But you come up to two problems when this verse simply means physical illness. Either one, when you pray and you ask God to take something away, one of two things go through your mind. It's not going away, and you think God's not good. He's not keeping his promises. But we don't think that because we know better than that. So what do we think? I don't have enough faith. The Bible teaches, Jesus teaches, he wants to see faith. Not 75% faith. Not 100% faith. He says faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains. The beginning of the book, James talks about praying and asking for wisdom and do not pray doubting. That man will not receive anything from the Lord. What is the context at the very beginning of the book of talking about suffering, talking about praying and asking for wisdom, talking about praying in faith. He's talking about asking for the wisdom that will help you get through the suffering so you will count it as all joy and see it the right way. And he ends the book reminding them of the very similar thing. Let the elders come and pray over him. The responsibility is on us. The responsibility on us is to call and ask specifically for the pastors, elder, presbyteros, is, is where, that you, when you see that word elder, you should think pastor. Those who are God's spiritual representation on earth, who are tasked and held accountable to God to minister and to care for you whose greatest goal is to strengthen you with the word of God. It makes total sense that the elders are the one called to come pray over you and pray and ask God to strengthen you far beyond your physical healing, but to the fainting and the weariness of your soul that's happening. You say, man, I feel like I'm giving up on Jesus. I'm, I'm in so much pain as a result of some sickness or suffering. I just feel like I can't do it. I need help, right? Because for the help that we, you call for the elders of the church, you have them come pray over you. Notice it says elders, plurality. That's one of the reasons we have a plurality of elders. It's not just one man because we believe Jesus is the one man and we believe you need a multiplicity of elders. That's what we see in scripture. This also implies that you're a part of a church. This also implies that you know who your elders are. They know who you are. And look what happens. They come and they do this. It says, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. This has also been one that's very disputed because we don't really know much about what he means by this, but here's what it could mean. One, medicinal, right? So you are coming to someone who's sick and they're weary as a result of being sick and medicine was not that advanced at time. And so you have the elders coming and literally trying to give you some type of medicinal help right? Because oil was used to help heal bruises and wounds, right? It also could, it also could have a symbolic meaning, a symbolic meaning of the Holy Spirit, because oil represents the Holy Spirit and the anointing of God's power, spirit in the Old Testament. And so maybe the elders are coming and this is a symbolic statement. However they anointed, that's another thing we don't know is they drench it with, drench you with the bucket that they dump you in and they put a little dot on your head. What do they do? but it could be a symbolic meaning that we are asking for God to come and provide the power of the Holy Spirit in your life that you need, that you can't do on your own and no one else can do for you and you need the Lord to raise you up, which is what he says later will happen. I think it includes a little bit of both. I think when they thought about oil, they thought about medicinal reasons, they thought about helping, they thought about helping take the weary and weak complexion to help make people look better and to feel better. It's kind of like ladies, how you feel when you put makeup on, right? You just feel better when you get the makeup on, right? Right, showing like, hey, we want this person, God, to be restored to a place of, of vigor and fervor and excitement and enthusiasm for you because they are fading as a result of a sickness or suffering or a circumstance or simply they're just weak in their heart. They've been beaten down by even maybe their own failures and their own sins, which is why he says these next few things. Look what he says here. You call for the elders of the church. And what if we actually started, what if brothers and sisters here actually started on your own calling for the multiplicity of your pastors and your elders who love you and would love to do this for you, ask you to come and pray over you for your spiritual weakness? Like, wow, I never thought about this being the case. If I'm just weak, I always thought it just meant sick. Yeah, we need to be thinking about remaining steadfast because there's so many people who are fading fast because of circumstances. Weak. Anybody feel like they're just hanging on? Man, man, call for us. Let us come pray over you. 
We'll put a little oil on your head, symbolically just being faithful to the passage and ask for the Lord to do his work in your heart and reinvigorate you. But look at what the promise is here. Anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. You don't just invoke the name. You don't, just because I say in the name of Jesus doesn't make something special happen because when men who didn't know Jesus tried to just use his name, they were overcome by demons in the book of Acts. It means that what I'm doing is I'm doing what Jesus would do if he were here. And I'm gonna pray as Jesus would pray if he were here. And I'll do it in the name of the Lord, through him, by him, and in his name, because that's who we serve. And it says this, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. Anything confusing about that as you just read it? Like, what? I thought we were talking about a Christian, a brother already. Why would they need salvation? Again, we're coming back to words that can be used in different ways. The prayer of faith, similar to one that you see in James chapter one, where he says, pray without doubting for the wisdom you need to be able to endure suffering. Same thing here. You're weak. You need help. You want to be patient till the end. You call and you ask for prayer and the prayer of faith on behalf of you, your prayer and on behalf of you from the elders, the pastors, those who are spiritually mature, who know how to pray and who are going to pray the right way and pray according to the Lord's will are going to come and pray over you. And it says the prayer of faith will guarantee save you or heal you. But you don't need to be thinking physical healing because that isn't a guarantee. Jesus says in this life, you'll have trouble. Jesus and God's desire is to heal you ultimately. But when is when we disagree. We think if we have wrong understandings of scripture that we can invoke when God will do something for us as if it's about us and a man-centered religion and God, you do what we tell you to do. No, we, we, our goal and the goal of James is say, God, we want to do what you want us to do. So God, yes, I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask in faith because I know you can and I know you have the power to take this sickness away from this dear brother or sister. I'm praying and I'm asking for healing that you would do that. But then what if that person ends up dying? What does it mean? God's not good or you didn't have enough faith. It means that he chose to answer the prayer and heal that person in the moment in full, ultimate, complete healing. But what about when we pray for years and years and years and years and years? What's at stake is your devotion to the Lord, not your physical circumstance changing. And the will of the Lord through what he has revealed in his word is that he had a people for his own possession that will endure patiently through every circumstance. So when you're sick, cancer, cancer hits your body, that loved one is struggling in the hospital, we pray and we ask God for healing, knowing he can but what's more important for that is for that person who knows you to remain true and to not let the enemy use that as an opportunity to take away their devotion to the Lord because that's what matters more than anything else. James is giving a guarantee that if you're spiritually weak and you're struggling and you allow this ministry to come over you and you have brothers and sisters pray for you, you will be restored. And it says this, the prayer, of, and the Lord, the next thing is, and the Lord will raise him up. That word raise is very interesting. Awaken, arouse. And I believe in this context, it means to reinvigorate you with the enthusiasm and the zeal for the Lord that you've lost as you've become spiritually weak, maybe some of us, man, we beg the Lord in the middle of the night to come help us. And I'm telling you, I've experienced this. Some of you have heard my story eight years as a father, struggling every single night, feeling like God doesn't love me, feeling like my kids are gonna die, feeling, man, just feeling like totally horrible. Every night, just a complete battle for like, to like just remain true to the Lord, feeling like a weight of condemnation on my heart. And I kept it a secret until Todd, he's not here good brother and counselor he is, knew that I was weak. He could see it on my face. I came in one day spiritually weak. I couldn't hide it anymore. Just struggling. Didn't sleep at all the night before. Just struggling. Feeling like God doesn't love me. Doesn't care for me. Feeling totally unmotivated to want to serve him. And he pulls it out 
I confess it. He prays over me. The other guy's praying for me at 2.30 in the morning. I tell you what, I've never struggled with that since. I cannot explain it. All I can explain is that the Lord raised me up, but he did it through the prayers of brothers and sisters over my life and the confession of that struggle. How many of you, I wonder, are so isolated in your own thoughts and your own struggles. You don't want to tell anyone because you don't want to look weak and you get the pride of the enemy all over your life like I did for eight years, suffering purposefully, purposefully, purposelessly. However, that's, my, that's, my, that's that word. When I come across that word and anything I'm saying, it's horrible. I shouldn't try to say it. Suffering when you don't need to be is what I'm trying to say. And if you would let it out, which is why we emphasize small groups, why we emphasize being here, because there's no such thing. Now listen, I want to say this very tenderly to those who are watching. Love you. I love all of us. But the enemy would love nothing more than he did break up the one another of the church. But we find excuses to not be part of small groups. We find excuses not to be here together and sing praises, which God's designed to hear the word of God preached over life. We, we've been able to tell ourselves we can actually do virtual church. It doesn't exist. It's not a thing. Can't do it. We have to be together. And the church of God is going to be together through all, all things. Church in Afghanistan, I'm telling you, they're still together and they got people chasing them to try to kill them and kidnap their kids. They need to remain true. And they're the example for us, right? We need to be a church that prays. What do I got? 11, 12, we're doing good, okay? You guys with me? The Lord loves you. He gave up his only son for you and he is worth following and he wants us to grow, spiritually grow through the knowledge of his word and that's what we're doing this morning. So I hope that he's encouraging you and he's being with you right now. This is why he says in this next verse, verse 16, Right before verse 16, he says this. He says, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Our weakness or our pain from our sickness is not always a cause of sin. Like back in that day, they thought if you were struggling, if you were weak, or if you were sick, it was always a result of sin. I mean, you had to be, right? Who sinned? This, this, this man born blind, it must have been his parents. One of his parents must have sinned because he has this plight over his life. And Jesus comes along and says, no, 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 no. I, I, in my sovereignty, put this on this man so that the works of uh, the power of God could be revealed through him. But we do know that some of our weakness and our sickness is a result of sin, unconfessed sins. And James is saying this, man, you, you call for the elders, you admit your weakness, you confess that, you're praying with them. The promise always in scripture is that you confess, you'll be forgiven. You confess you'll be forgiven. You confess, you be forgiven. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You're never too far gone. I don't care if you've done it for the 800th time. That's why Jesus said 70 times seven, you forgive your brothers and sisters because that's what I do for you. So go ahead and listen to the voice of the enemy in your head that says, you can't go to God again. Look, you told him last time you wouldn't do it again and you just did it again. We said, well, but Jesus tells me to come and ask for forgiveness and that if I confess, I'll be forgiven. So that's what I'm gonna trust, the gospel of Jesus and not the gospel of the enemy. I'm gonna trust that. You will be forgiven. You bring these things out, you bring it to the Lord. Maybe your weakness is a result. Maybe your sickness is a result of sin. You confess that, you'll be forgiven. I want you to remind, remind you of what David said in Psalm 32. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. And he says this, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Anybody relate to that? Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. James would be talking about this person. That's why I think it's important for this person whose, heat, whose strength has been dried up to call for the elders of the church and let them come pray over them and experience what David says next. I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, right? That impending doom that you feel like is coming over you in your weakness, they shall not reach him. A guarantee. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with the shouts 
of deliverance. But the person who is stuck in that sickness, that weakness, is stuck in a place where they feel doomed. They need to have that removed. And that comes through prayer and confession, which is why he says this next thing. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another. What do we do? How do we remain steadfast to the end? When you're suffering, you pray. When you're cheerful, you praise. When you're weak and you're sick, you call for prayer. And this, look at this, at all times though, lean on one another and confessing sins to one another and in praying for one another. So important. This is why God's given us the church, right? You know, one, one of the things that I, I want to help us with, with what we're seeing happening to our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan, is sometimes we feel like there's nothing I can do or we, get, we feel guilt that we're not suffering with them. That's okay. The Bible says mourn with those who are mourning. Weep with those who weep. So it is okay for us to dedicate time and ourselves alone time when we get away and we hurt and we should hurt. Like, do it with, like, God, let me, let me mourn with my brothers and sisters who I don't even know, but we pray for them. And you're like, man, I feel guilty that I'm over here cheerful. No, 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 The Bible doesn't say if you're cheerful, feel guilty. The Bible says if you're cheerful, praise. Give it to God and pray for one another. Confess your sins to one another. Man, do you got people in your life? Are you a part of the body? I don't mean like, you know, we're more than Sunday. This is part of it. We need this together. But I'm saying your life, are you the church? People in your life who are also brothers and sisters you can confess to, that you can pray for. This is why we have small groups. If you're not a part of a small group, listen, all, the whole point of a small group is just to be with one another so you can do these things so that the manifestation of the spirit can happen in your life and can happen in the lives of those around you and you can help and be helped. It's the pattern and the, the love and the design of God. Be with the church. Lean on one another. And then finally, this church as we think about remaining faithful to the end, the one thing we must never do is never doubt the power of prayer. Look what he says here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, pray for one another that you may be healed. Again, that same way that David's talking about feeling. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Literally, the prayer of a person who prays with prayer has great power as it is working. How often do we doubt the power of prayer? We don't do it. The, the evidence and the actions of our life of trying everything else but praying shows that we just doubt it. We doubt it, man. We, maybe we get these lofty thoughts and ideas where we think, well, God's just gonna do what he wants to do anyway. Man, God never tells us to think that way. God wants us to pray. I think of Jesus in the garden as he's praying and like blood drops are like coming out of his skin and he looks back and he sees the disciples sleeping and he's like, wake up. Can't you just one hour in prayer and he sees them sleeping because he knows how important prayer is because he knows what's coming and he tells them to watch and pray. But look what happens. They're asleep. They come and they drag Jesus off and their last stand for Jesus is running when they could have stood up for him. Running and hiding and Peter denying Jesus. You know, James is actually showing this pattern of watching and praying. Last week, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Watch, now pray. Watch and pray, church. Be alert, be ready, stay awake, stay alert. Keep praying in your individual life and corporately together. For what's going on in the world, what's going on among you, keep praying. Because prayer is powerful. And then he gives us another example. As he's thinking about the prophets, he talks about Elijah. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently. There's our second pillar. Prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. A few things I want you to see. This illustration reinforces the prayer for the weak, dried up spiritual person because he's using this example of rain coming down on the land. Man, I feel like there's been no rain. There's a drought in my life. I need the restoring waters of the rain of God to fall upon me. But then he uses Elijah as an example who prayed and look at the wonderful, powerful things that prayer accomplished. So you don't need to be thinking 
in your life as you grow weak and as you experience the suffering and the hardships and the sicknesses of life that there's not some type of supernatural healing for your heart. Peter said this, our outer man is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed day by day. God has already promised your outer person will waste away and he's gonna give you a new body. And heaven's gonna be the ultimate expression of physical healing. But he's wanting to give you something now that you need more than the physical in the circumstances. It's the inner man and, and woman inside of you being renewed day by day to love Jesus more, to look like him more and be ready for every single circumstance of life. So when the enemies of the world who are under the power and the sway of the evil one come upon us, we won't run and scatter and give up on Jesus because we love this life more than one to come. Of course, we're not willing to lose this life to gain that one. Elijah prayed, and James wants you to see the example of Elijah. Now, let me read you the very last book, verse of James, to remind you what he's trying to prevent in us, which is what we're going to talk about next week. The reason I've made such such a time of trying to explain this is because I want us to see the seriousness of what James is trying to help and what he's trying to prevent in the church of God. So he says all of that. Then he prayed and rain came back on the land. Verse 19, my brothers, if anyone among you, still talking about those among you, wanders from the truth. You see, that's what James is trying to prevent. And James knows the suffering and the sickness and the circumstances and the cares and the sins of this life are ultimately the enemy's trying to use them to pull you away from your devotion to Christ. Amen. He wants you to be patient to the end. He wants you to know the wonders and the beauty and the inheritance and the, the glory and the, the, the beauty that's coming and the revelation of Jesus Christ as he takes you and he leads you in this procession of victory and everyone who denied Jesus and who fought against you and who opposed his church are going to be destroyed once for all and we're going to experience the salvation that he's promised, the healing that he's promised. We're going to be with him forever and we're going to look back on this life and say, man, I'm so glad I remained steadfast through everything everything. And James is saying, this is how you do it. We've got to become a church that prays, not just says it and amens it, but prays. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. I'm going to call for our church to pray for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. I'm going to call for you to pray for yourself as you feel your fervor leaving, as you felt like the the lies of the enemy come over you and you feel so weak. We're also going to praise because we're going to praise because we're cheerful. But maybe you're suffering. You're suffering. Someone's mistreating you. Maybe your family members are weak and they're suffering. We're going to pray. However that looks, you get on your face and you pray. You come here. I'm going to be right here praying. We pray as well. And we're going to pray together as a church. However you feel led, church, right now, let's pray.